teaching and I was teaching it in a New Testament survey. So I would teach the whole New Testament in one semester. As I was going through the teaching of passages like Romans chapter 5, I thought, wow, this is good sermon material. I'd like to preach on that someday. And uh, here I am with the opportunity to preach to you on Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. My first point this morning, and the first result of justification, is peace in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever stopped to ask the question, what is it that people really want in life? People are engaged in a frenzied search. They move through life at breakneck speed looking for something. They don't know exactly what it is they're looking for, and yet there's so much dissatisfaction. Here's some things that they delve into. One, money. At first, if you're following Dave Ramsey's advice, you set aside $1,000 for an emergency fund. Now that's good advice. Too many people are living from paycheck to paycheck and barely making it. I read this past week of uh, a uh, very thoughtful giving service that would provide loans to those that were having trouble paying their rent or their deposit on their rent and would only charge 27% interest. That galls me. So you've set aside $1,000 for your emergency fund. Then what would really satisfy you? $5,000 in the bank? $10,000 in the bank? $50,000? A half a million dollars in the bank? A million? $10 million? People are driven in this area but never seem to have enough. And the more money they have, the more anxiety they have over losing it all. They're sure that there's something in life that's more meaningful than money. A second thing that people look for meaning in life in is positions or jobs always seeking to climb up a little bit farther, a little bit farther, a little bit farther. The new position has a thrill, and then it wears off very quickly. I googled dissatisfaction with climbing the corporate ladder this week, and I found all kinds of tips on how to climb the corporate ladder. And then I found this honest statement by a Christian he said this, from my experience and observation, the pressure of the corporate world is such that it's very difficult to maintain a passion for Christ when your primary goal is to move up the corporate ladder. The ladder climbing problem has multiple pitfalls, such as the desire for success, dissatisfaction with your current status, consumerism, greed, lust for power, etc. But whatever the motivation, if climbing the corporate ladder or the ecclesiastical ladder becomes our primary goal, then we're in big trouble. 
A Christian's primary goal should always be love for God and neighbor. And one of the big ways we express this is in seeking Christ's kingdom. We shouldn't let the world set our agenda regardless of our sphere of employment. End of quote. Another way that people try to find meaning in life is through recreation. Are fishermen ever satisfied? If a fisherman catches a five-pound fish, he wants to catch a six-pound fish. I guess that's why there are so many fish stories. One of my favorites is about the one-armed fisherman who caught a fish this big. Now, that's hard to beat. Some of you will have to think about that for a while, and at home you'll probably get what I was saying. Camping. The avid camper is never satisfied with their equipment. They have to get better equipment. Larry and Grace started camping with an army surplus tent. After a few years, they uh, progressed to a Shenango tent on wheels, then to a sp sport craft, and to a scamper, and then to a 22-foot Concord. And finally, they traded their Concord in on an Airstream. Now that's the ultimate. And then they had to go out and buy a 6,000 pound Dodge truck to pull it. <laughs> the thing that really tugs at my heart is that no matter what I say in this area, some of you will still try to find peace and satisfaction in these common ways and will never achieve it. Now the object of peace is what I want to talk about next. The objective of peace is Godward. There are several different kinds of peace. There's peace with God, and there's the peace of God, there's peace inside oneself, there's peace with people, and there's peace among people groups. Charles Wesley wrote about two kinds of peace when he wrote these, this hymn, Breathe, O breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled heart. Breast, that is. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find that second rest. Without any doubt, Wesley was referring to what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, where he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And some of you need to take that verse with you as you go home, as you go through this next week. The word rest is used twice in that passage. There's a rest that is given, and there's a rest that is found. So it is with God. First, we need to have peace with God, and then we, have a, we need an inner peace. The peace with God is given. The peace of God is found. All people need peace with God. The reason is revealed in Scripture. All have gone astray. 
we have turned to our own plan for life and turned away from God's plan, which is the best plan. All are enemies of God because once we choose not to follow God and his direction, we are rebelling against him. Now let me summarize what I just said. All people need peace with God. All have gone astray. All are enemies of God. And I want to develop that last point just a little bit more. Uh, God's word says in Romans 8, 7, and 8, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Enemies. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The only alternative to peace with God is experiencing the wrath of God. God will someday shake this whole earth like a cat shakes a mouse. It will be the ultimate earthquake. Talk about the big one. You can read about it in the book of Revelation. But the eternal wrath of God resting on a man is behind, beyond our comprehension. And it's certainly something to avoid in light of the fact that the peace with God is offered to everyone. Now the agent of this peace, it is only through our Lord Jesus Christ. The verb having been justified indicates that this took place once. And the verb for having peace is in the present tense, indicating this is an ongoing, continual thing. Obituaries centuries ago used to uh, be written this way. Having made his peace with God, he departed this life. That, of course, is error because it sounds like this person accomplished this peace with God all by himself. No man makes his peace with God. It is given to him as a gift when he is justified. God then looks upon each of us as his friends, not enemies of him anymore because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another dimension of this peace which flows out of our justification is the peace of God. We have peace with God, and then we have the peace of God once we've experienced the peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for our sins. We can know this peace of God, which Paul says goes beyond our comprehension, surpasses our understanding. The basis for this is in knowing God and trusting him in spite of the difficulties of life. Have you ever noticed that no one's life is perfect? No one's family is perfect. We got a note from a friend this week, and as always she shares with us about her children and her grandchildren. They are remarkable kids. I have never heard of a family so wonderful as is portrayed by this lady in her Pollyanna approach to life. And I would say to you, yes, her kids and her grandkids are impressive. 
But don't be overwhelmed by that. Every family on earth since Adam is dysfunctional. It's just a matter of degrees. Take heart. Now the second result of peace is position in the first part of verse 2. Through whom, of course referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And its means, it is, the, it is only again by Jesus Christ that we arrive at this new position with God. It is by faith. It is not by works. As J. Vernon McGee says, we have unearned acceptance for another's sake. Instead of being shut out because of our sins, we are given a pass. Faith is the little piece of pasteboard in our hands, which is our pass. There's a simple story told about Abraham Lincoln that illustrates this point very well. A southern soldier was released from prison camp because he was so severely wounded that he would not be able to go back and fight for the South again. He sought audience with the president, namely Abraham Lincoln, in order to intercede for his brother who was also in that prison camp because that brother was the only sole support of their mother. And the guards of the White House would not let him in to see the president. Little Tad Lincoln was out playing, and he saw this soldier sitting on a bench crying. And he went up to him and said, why are you crying? And after listening to the soldier, he took the soldier by the hand and led him right past those guards into the presence of his father. When I was alone, desolate, wounded by sin, without hope, the Son of God came to my rescue through the shed blood of the cross. He took me by the hand and he led me past every human and angelic force that would bar me from the presence of God and led me right into the presence of God the Father at the throne. Now the description of this position. We stand in a position by grace. This was not always true. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. The clear implication is that sin was master over you. We can only stand in the presence of God in two ways. First, we can stand in his presence under law, and that leads to condemnation and wrath. Or we can stand in the presence of God under grace, and that leads to acceptance and blessing. We must never forget that grace is unmerited favor. We do not deserve it. When we have received Jesus as Savior, our whole relationship with God is different. He looks on us favorably and in a gracious manner. We're no longer his enemies. In Christ, there was, is no need to be uncomfortable in his presence. That's our position by grace. 
its implications. There are two very striking ideas that should hit us from this. First, my access is direct. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I do not need to come to God through anyone else. No human being, alive or dead, needs to represent me. Tad Lincoln didn't need any aid to come into the presence of his father. And neither do I need any outside help to come into the presence of my heavenly father. I'm a child of the king. I'm a true son of God. Secondly, my position leads to great and real privilege. The abundant power of God and the provision of God are now at my fingertips. I've read many stories about wealthy people who lived like they had nothing. Here is one that I found this week. Joe Tomesco roamed his Minneapolis neighborhood looking for throwaways to fix up and sell or give away. The Polish immigrant and former prisoner of war did odd jobs, had no family, and lived in a modest house furnished with the things he scavenged from the streets. His attorney, William Wangenstein, describes himself as, quote, blown away, end of quote, when Temesco's bank called a few years ago trying to enlist Wangenstein's support in persuading the little old man with a thick accent to convert his million-dollar bank account into more lucrative investments. Before that, Wangenstein had no idea that the handyman who rotated the attorney's screens and storm windows every spring and fall was so rich. Wangenstein says that Tomesco would go get free food from local charities and read newspapers in the store so he didn't have to pay for them. Tomesco took the news of 911 real hard. He had his will rewritten, leaving $1.4 million to the city of New York. We ask, why would someone go through life so meagerly with that kind of wealth at his fingertips? We hasten to add, I would never do that. Yet multitudes of believers have fantastic spiritual resources available to them and live as spiritual starvelings. That's wasteful. The hymn says it so well. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions would they bring. For his grace and power are, are such none can ever ask too much. Let's live like children of the heavenly king. Now, in no way am I talking about the health and wealth theology of our day, which is a false theology. It is not promised in the word of God that, that God would make every one of his children healthy and very, very wealthy. What I'm talking about is spiritual wealth all the wealth we have in Christ Jesus. Reflect on this verse all week long. 
and you will never plumb its depths. Ephesians 1.3, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The third result of justification is a fantastic future in the last half of verse 2. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. This is a great cause for rejoicing or exaltation in the anticipation of the glory of God. This is speaking of something which we do not have now, but we shall have it. There is real confidence. It's not a hope so. It's a no so. That's the biblical concept of hope, as I said last week. There are three ways to look at the glory of God here. First, that we will see the glory of God. Moses desired to see God, and God allowed him to see just a little bit of his glory. Remember the beatitude in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We will see the glory of God in heaven. Secondly, we shall see Jesus Christ in his, all, all his glory. Stephen, when he was being martyred, stoned to death, it says concerning him in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Fanny Crosby wrote this old hymn, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Yes, I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And once you know that Fanny Crosby was blind, the hymn has a lot more meaning. I shall see him face to face. We shall be glorified is the third idea, and we shall be glorified. Romans 8.18 says, Paul is writing, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Philippians 3.21 talks about what God is going to do in us. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. In heaven, we will have incredible bodies that are free from all pain and disease and broken bones. We have, we'll have ears that will hear and eyes that will see without the aid of hearing aids or glasses. There'll be no canes, no wheelchairs, no doctors practicing in heaven. There'll be doctors there, but they won't be practicing. I was also thinking as an aside this week, there'll be no communists or capitalists in heaven. There'll be no Democrats or Republicans or even independence, especially independence, because we're all going to be dependent on God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, 
just as from the Lord the Spirit. Are you boasting, exulting, glorying in the hope of glory? If not, why not? Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, where we look not at the things which are seen, but the, the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In conclusion, this morning I say this. I am not an enemy of God. If you're in the family of God, you are not an enemy of God. I am at peace with God because of his justification based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are at peace with God on the same basis. I am a son of God with all the privileges of that position. And so are you a son of God with all the privileges of that position. Yes, there is a fantastic future waiting for me as well. And all of that brings us to the communion table this morning. It reminds us of our justification and why it was possible. Jesus, the Son of God, went to the cross to satisfy God's holiness for all the sins of all human beings. We come to the table and take a small piece of cracker, which pictures the broken body of Jesus Christ, broken for us. We take a little cup with grape juice in it, symbolizing the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for us. We practice this ordinance once a month to refresh in our thinking not only that Christ died for us, 